Welcome to another episode of Social Justice Matters, the podcast from Social Justice Ireland. My name is Suzanne Rogers and I am Research and Policy Analyst with Social Justice Ireland. As those of you who tune in regularly will already know, we have podcasts in three different formats. The 10-minute lesson series, which aims to cover key points on a particular topic. There's our seminar series where we get to listen back to presentations from past events. And then there's our interview series where we chat to a wide range of policy experts. This week, it's one of our interviews. So I'm delighted to be joined by Louise Lennon, who's Policy and Communications Officer with Irish Rural Link, and Tara Farrell, who's CEO of Longford Women's Link. They both join me on International Women's Day to chat about women in rural Ireland. Happy International Women's Day to Louise and Tara. So thank you very much for your time. And I'll go in a clockwise motion on my screen here. So I'm going to start with Louise Lennon. Can you just give us a flavour of the organisation that you work for and the work that that organisation does, please? Thanks, Suzanne. And happy International Women's Day to you and to all the listeners. My name is Louise Lennon and I work with Irish Roar Link and the Policy and Communications Officer there. Irish Roar Link, we're a national organisation. We're non-profit, established in 1991. And we advocate and promote the sustainable rural communities um, and work with individuals and organisations that help marginalise and dis- disadvantaged groups in rural communities. And Tara Farrell, if I can ask you the same question. Good morning or good afternoon to everybody and happy International Women's Day as well to all your listeners. I'm Tara Farrell, I'm the CEO of Longford Women's Link and we are a social enterprise based in Longford who provide a wide range of services and support for women and children in the in the region. And that includes early years care, domestic violence service, counselling service, community employment, training and education, the whole range of, of services. And uh, we would see approximately a thousand women and children every year coming through our doors. So we're very busy, very vibrant service and coping with all of the, the challenges that the COVID and other situations have thrown at us over the last couple of years. And we were founded in 1995 by uh, three members of the ICA. So our roots are very much in, in rural Ireland. So looking forward to talking to you today. Very conscious that a conversation about issues that affect women, we could do hours and hours and hours of this. And even when we narrow it down to issues that affect women in rural Ireland, again, we're not going to cover everything. But I suppose I'll start with you, Louise. What would your top three concerns be for women in rural Ireland at the moment? For women in rural Ireland that very often be marginalised mm-hmm. as, a, as a gender themselves, but then when you add in other other disadvantaged or marginalised groups, women within that are even mm-hmm. further marginalised as well. More inclusivity for women, whether that's being represented at a community level, county level, if you're looking at local authorities and county councils, but also in terms of work, like a lot of the caring role still falls on women. So that put, that, that can often exclude them from participation fully in either in the workplace or in their local community as well. Also, the recognition of the work that women do in in communities and especially I suppose in agriculture is 14 like it's only 14 percent of those working in the agricultural sector are women but we know that they do a lot more or there's a lot more women out there doing more work 
on the family farm, it's not recognised, I suppose, by national statistics or even recognised by the man is still seen as the the breadwinner, the main, the head of the household, we'll say. They do a lot of unpaid work, but the work that's been done is so vital to the running of, of the family farm and even running a business. I have a network of Meals and Wheels organisations um, from across the country and a lot of the volunteers within that are women. Some of those groups are wholly voluntary groups and it is women that are organising those organizing meals for, for people who need them so i think the recognition having the supports in place for women to be able to to participate like childcare we've seen during the lockdown during covid that everything had to move online so remote working is becoming more of a an option and is government policy now so you know there are opportunities there for women to take up employment or return to the workforce and to take up jobs that they may not have been able to take up before because they were maybe based in cities they could take up now given that it is remote they can work either from home or from remote working hub where they might not have been able to take it up before because of issues of childcare and that and, and it brings that bit of life back to rural areas as well and and gives them the opportunity then to become more involved in, in their communities. I think the lack of transport still is a problem in rural areas like it's been an issue it, it's always been an issue and it does prevent those that are on lower income that don't own a car it, it can prevent them from taking up education opportunities or Again, employment opportunities where, where they need to actually be physically in the employment. And I suppose sometimes the timing as well of where transport is available, the timing doesn't always suit. Yeah, one bus in and one bus out. Yeah. 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 And then I suppose even time as well, it, prevents, it, can, it can prevent them, even the local PPNs they may not be able to participate in, in that either. Tara, I'm going to ask for your list and then what we'll do then is we might go back then through each of those items and unpack them a little bit. So what would your concerns or what are you seeing? What are the issues for women in rural Ireland, Tara? The top three for me are the first would be the issue of domestic violence. I think it's no secret that we've seen a huge increase in numbers. We saw it ourselves in our own service during lockdown. We're seeing a lot more media coverage of it, which is good um, because there needs to be an increased awareness of what's happening to women and children, particularly in rural Ireland. And we're seeing a lot, I suppose, a lot more high risk cases than perhaps we would have seen in previous years. And, you know, the, the isolation, the lockdown, it really created the perfect conditions for a perpetrator. So there were no, there were none of the traditional escape routes if you like the, the perpetrator and the woman would have been at home the children weren't at school they didn't have the outlets of their usual you know, meeting with friends or sports clubs or music clubs or whatever it is in order to be able to escape so it was really really very um, heightened conditions for it so that's a huge concern for us at the moment and we're coming out of lockdown uh, hopefully <laughs> and we're emerging into a very changed society in a changed world and hopefully we're seeing the, the third strategy on domestic and se- sexual and gender-based violence uh, under in production, as they say, uh, and there's a draft strategy open to the public for consultation at the moment. So we would be hopeful that we will see change. I mean, this is this huge potential for this draft strategy to be 
a game changer for, for women and children who are experiencing domestic violence. So that would be the first thing. The second thing would, would be a concern for us as well is the area of women in leadership and women in, in political representation. And we have been running a, a programme for the last 12, 13 years called Women's Manifesto Programme, which is about supporting women to engage with the local democratic structures. So whether that's your, the local county councils, the public participation networks, all of those structures where decisions are made that impact the lives of women, that impact their families, that impact their communities. A couple of years ago, we established the SHE project with 5050 Northwest, and SHE stands for SEER Elected. And SHE is a, we feel it's a very innovative project, and it's a, I suppose, a, what we would describe it as a feminist community-led rural initiative, and it, it's providing pathways for women into political life. Now, we're looking very much at the local elections and local politics, and you know, with COVID, our, our way of working and our, our programs of working had to change very, very quickly. So we established the She School pretty much overnight, which is a series of um, political education programs and seminars. And that really explores politics. It, it brings that political education to women online and builds their capacity then to participate in public life. So we've had over 700 women engaging so far on She School from all over the country. And yes, COVID was very difficult and, and threw many plans out the window, but it also, I suppose, we saw it as an opportunity emerging from the crisis that we were able to do this. And then finally, and it's linking in with Louise's point, you know, the general sense of, of well-being and the recognition of the impact of COVID-19, particularly on women, we've seen the disproportionate impact around the caring roles, that mental load and the isolation, particularly for older women. You know, and, and Louise mentioned the transport, the lack of, of uh, you know, fit for purpose transport system throughout rural Ireland and how many older women were, were isolated, very, very isolated, whether they were cocooning or then whether they were restricted from going to their usual meetings and their usual gatherings. You know, we have to think as well about the, the impact of uh, digital and this digital world that we have all emerged into now where everything is happening online. And that's perhaps not always the most accessible way for for older women to to access that social outlet which is so important so that that isolation the general the general well-being of our communities and we saw some really really good initiatives uh, throughout covid with the community champions which i i was link were very much involved in overseeing and that allowed for those networks to be established in every community to ensure that nobody was left behind and a lot of them are still continuing on, you know, in, in various community forum forms around the country. So there they'd be my three concerns. And but I think there are there are ways that we can address them as well. I'm gonna go back to because I said there's a lot there between what before what you both said, but just to pick up on that whole concept of women's work is generally undervalued and underpaid. And because it's and it has been utterly devalued. And has COVID changed that conversation that we now understand the importance of the work that's done by cleaners? We understand the importance of the work that's being done by carers. Like these people have proved to be utterly, totally vital to, as you said, our well-being and our health over the last two years. Has that conversation shifted, do you think? I'll start with you, maybe Louise, and see, have you noticed anything there in terms of that? Yeah, I mean, during the pandemic yeah the value of frontline workers mm -hmm. is uh, you know the cares women took on a lot of the workload at home the the homeschooling working in you know the supermarket and shops that had to be kept open for a, lo a long time 
yeah, like these were the jobs a lot of women would have taken up. And also, to, I suppose, in rural areas as well, tourism was mm-hmm. really impacted and a lot of women would work in that sector as well, even if it was, you know, their own business running a B&B badly affected. But the value before COVID wasn't there for those jobs. And mm-hmm. while during COVID it was, and I'd, I'd be afraid that that value isn't going to be continued that things as things start to go back to somewhat normal but mm-hmm. we're going to lose all those good things that happened yeah. during lockdown and during covid home health a lot of them are minimum wage precarious contract working contracts you know there's no job security in it no kind of advancement of they're not they were never seen as kind of jobs that you could build your career around like that that was never the focus of them and it and I suppose as as we we have an aging population we're gonna have to take that home care more serious I know the statutory home care scheme is being developed at the moment you know there's a pilot scheme of that still going on at the moment so I think lessons from COVID have to be taken into that when that comes about. But these jobs need to be valued yeah. more, you know, because you need to start attracting people into working in these areas as well. Like there is a shortage of carers out there and to have it fallen back on family members as well like that. A lot of the time it is the, the, women. the, the women, you know, they don't get days off. Then they become person's full-time carer. They're seeing there's no time off then for them. But to even appeal to our self-interest, who do I want minding me in however many years <laughs> it's going to take? But you're right, like we're living long. So the more of us are going to be older and more of us are going to be very, very old. But if somebody needs to come in here into my home and help me get up, get dressed in the morning, make my breakfast, maybe run the hoover around, who do I want that person to be and how valued do I want them to feel? So even if we appeal to our self-interest, we probably should be looking at ensuring that those jobs are, are are better paid and better valued because I want that person to be top notch ultimately. It's it's just that as well. You're building up a relationship with the carer, like and and that trust as well. Like and if they keep they keep changing and there's a new person on different days, it can be difficult yeah. for the person being cared for and for I mean, the carer. Yeah. Tara, are you seeing a shift in? undervalued unpaid women's work are our perceptions of it shifting i think there, there was there was a shift in terms of the, the discussion particularly throughout covid and a recognition of the work that's done particularly the unpaid care work and also then a recognition as you were saying you know within other sectors so for example the early years sector and i think it, it became very apparent very very quickly that if you don't have a functioning early years sector you don't have a functioning economy and you don't have a functioning society and that's great if that's acknowledged, but it has to be backed up by increased resources. It has to be backed up by a recognition in, in terms of resources. And, you know, you'd often hear the comparison around going outside at whatever time they, they did in the UK to clap for the health service. And that's great. And that's great to have that recognition. But it doesn't bring resources. And claps are great, but claps will fade. And people will say that they need to, that it isn't a great all the work that, that, for example, the early years workers do. But a lot of the, and it's predominantly women working in that sector, are working on or just above minimum wage for the work that they do in the formative years of the child's development. 
So I think we're probably a little bit more open to having those conversations and there is a little bit more recognition, but whether or not it's backed up by resources, I mean, that remains to be seen. Now, obviously, there is some commitment from various government departments in relation to early years care, in relation to domestic violence and so on. But again, the, um, the devil will be in the detail as to how that, that pans out from a resource perspective. But absolutely, I think we've seen that impact on, on, on many women, but, you know, caring at home, whether they're, um, they're working externally outside the home, there's, there's been a huge, huge impact on women. It's well documented, though, that equal societies thrive and that by allowing women access to the same educational prospects as men, allowing women the same job prospects as men. But that childcare issue is a big thing. We don't really have that equality until you meet a man who says to himself, hmm, if I have kids, how will I balance that with my job? And even Suzanne, if you think if you think about the media, and it's you know it might seem like just a very general comment, but if you think about the media questions, and you look at the way media will speak to women, uh, whether it's women who are you know in in the acting world, whether it's women in business, they will always get the question about how do you balance yeah. your work and family life. It's very very rare, if at all, that question will ever be asked of a man. And I, I can't remember who did this the study. It might have been Oxfam, I think. Uh, just before the pandemic, about the unpaid care work mm. that that women do that allow others to go out into employment yeah. and the, the cost savings for the state. I mean, it's 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 in the billions. Yeah. But it's, I think it's how we view it in society and how in, in terms of the, the media interviews. And we've all seen them where the woman is asked, you know, how do you how do you juggle home and work life? How do you juggle having children and, and having a business? Yeah. And I'm I'm waiting to see when the man is going to be asked that. <laughs> I'm going to move on then, I suppose, to the, the participation piece, which, again, I found fascinating. And you'll see a lot of women say on things like school boards and parental involvement or maybe GAA or, or kids soccer or whatever sport that their kids are involved in. And then it seems to, as you said, it kind of drifts off. Is it a thing where it's not for us or should I wouldn't know anything? I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to go into that room and sit and talk to them or would there be a fear of if you, especially now, would there be a fear of that if you make yourself public that you're, you now open yourself up to a lot of abuse online? And like, what are the reasons for women not participating? Is it time? I think there's a time factor. I do yeah. think there's a time factor when we talk about the caring yeah. um, responsibilities. And actually the Chief Project are doing a very good online session with female counsellors, including Marie Cashley from Sligo, talking about that, that managing that, that family responsibilities but I think you know in, in terms of politics when you talk about politics and leadership and we would often over the last number of years we'd have women saying to us oh I'm not political I'm not I'm not political I don't know anything about politics yeah. but exactly as you say Suzanne they're involved in the school boards they're involved in the committees they're involved in their local communities and everything is political because everything has an impact yeah. you know so I think for the and just simply the work that we do like in relation to for example see elected it's about bringing that, that political knowledge to women. And we know from the work that we're doing, we know there is a huge appetite for that. And we saw it during the, during the pandemic because of the online access, you know, and I think when you start to, to connect with women in their communities and build up those networks of women who are interested in politics. And what we're trying to do is, yes, we want more women to run at a local level. Absolutely, that's our, our, our key aim. 
but there are so many roles for women and there are so many roles that women are interested in in terms of campaign management and being part of a team and supporting other women i think sometimes it's just about bringing those resources out into the community so that women can can look at them in their own time um you know whether it's online or whatever it is and say actually that is something i'm interested in and i'm also interested in finance and i'm interested in housing policy and i'm interested in what's happening with domestic violence and we're able to listen to that and say, okay, well, then we're going to put on a, a webinar or a Zoom. We're, we're, we've done a few with Financial Justice Ireland, you know, around all of the, the areas that women are really, really interested in. And sometimes it does spark something for women in, in terms of uh, their, their interests. But I do think it's about encouraging women to, to get involved in various different initiatives, but to have those initiatives that are there in the first place. I'll quote Colette here, one of her favourite ones is that if you buy a loaf of bread, there's policy attached to that. So yeah, exactly, exactly. Everything is political. That community aspect of it, that is political. And then the, the, the domestic violence aspect of it, then it has become more apparent as well as maybe getting worse for households. The numbers have definitely, definitely increased, okay. you know, and the level of high risk. And I think there's, there's a number of factors in that and from our perspective as a, as a rural organization um, and i know like louise would would obviously know this as well in terms of the transport so there's this huge additional transport costs compounding a situation for a woman living in a rural area to try and access services and we know that you know women experiencing domestic violence in rural areas will often take longer to seek supports particularly in remote locations as well um, they're less likely to contact the guards than in urban areas because of that, that local knowledge. And you know yourself, if the Garda car is seen outside the house, the whole place knows about it very soon. And we've also, we also know that there's a lot of older women in rural areas who are less likely to seek supports from services. And that's really, really concerning as well. So, you know, a lot of our, our service users live outside Longford Town, so they don't have any you know, functioning public transport. And I think that's, that is there maybe doesn't coincide with crash times or school times. And so they, it may not support women who want to access particular supports in Longford Town. And there's, there's a huge stigma around domestic violence in general, but for a rural area, that issue of women who are living perhaps in the perpetrator's family area is a big issue. You know, barring orders can be very difficult to implement if the perpetrator is working in very close proximity to the house. So, for example, on the family farm. And there's... A lot of work, I think, to be done within our communities around how we build up those support networks for women who are experiencing domestic violence, because we know how, how tightly knit our communities are. And for many women who might access the Gardaí's uh, supports or they might access court orders in relation to domestic violence, they may then report that they feel very isolated and very shunned by their communities. And we've seen the issues around resources, the closures of Garda stations, cutbacks in post offices in the health service, particularly in the pandemic situation, many women would have had to rely on their perpetrator then to access, for example, an out-of-hours health service. And that, you know, maintains that, that control. So I suppose COVID has, has shone that spotlight on, on the issue of violence against women. And for obviously many of us, we knew it was always there. And I think that's key for a lot of the areas that we talk about when we, when we talk about COVID, that isolation, the, um, the domestic violence and so on disadvantage those those issues have always been there but COVID has really shone that spotlight on them so we do need those integrated community level approaches and that means for domestic violence it means legal it means housing it means social responses 
you know, and a system that works for women and children. And we, you know, we're here a lot of talk about refuges. We don't have any capacity in a refuge system. We are in breach of our obligations under Istanbul, as you know. And, and I do know that the minister has a number of, of initiatives and starting with the provision of family units in a number of counties that have been particularly impacted and that don't have any access to refuges to, to make just to make the point that the refuge is not the only piece in in this picture and sometimes I think people think well if there's a refuge built at least that's that's the problem almost solved the refuge is one part of this picture and uh, there's, there's a whole wide range of, of complex issues around domestic violence as you know so we do need then a, a multi-faceted approach as well Transport, again, has cropped up a lot within, within this short conversation. And I suppose it goes back to access and then costs. So as you said, if you have a car and can afford to put petrol in the tank, transport's not an issue. It's for those on lower fixed income who are reliant, as you said, either on other family members or catching a lift or the one bus that goes out at 10 and doesn't come back till 7. It doesn't allow for opportunities I suppose if they don't fit in within those narrow timetables I mean what would you like to see I go to you Tara Force maybe I suppose I'd like to see a situation where and I mean we have to be realistic I'm not mm. saying that we're, we're going to have a bus at every village yeah. and, and every but we have to look at what's working for communities and what's not mm. and there are some you know and Louise will be far more knowledgeable about this than I will like there are obviously some very good um structures and resources in place but if you have a situation where you have a woman in, in, in a rural county who's trying to access a service um, and just cannot, you know, and, and, it, and it's not just sometimes about perhaps there's, um, you know, there's a lack of, of public transport. The, the cost of diesel at the moment is really prohibitive and people are now really thinking about whether they make their journey or not. If you're in rural Ireland and you're a two-person household, you do need two cars if you're both working outside the home. So you, you've got the the cost of insurance, the cost of diesel and all of that. So again, th there's no one issue or no one fix that's going to remedy this, but we have to look at how can we ensure that women and children living particularly in remote areas can access services. And, you know, is that a case of, of using, um, as we have often done in domestic violence service, where we would use a taxi service to be able to support women. But again, that needs to be resourced. So Unfortunately, a lot of the solutions that we have come with the resource <laughs> input, but um, but I think, you know, that we do need a, a multi-pronged approach. Louise, I mean, in terms of transport, what are your thoughts? For a long time now, Irish Shorelink, we've been calling for kind of that Uber-style car mm. service. You know, the local link services are there and they're, you know, a lot of them have expanded their services to evening services, but again, it, it limited and like if you were, were in a situation as Tara said look, trying to access a refuge or any other service even mental health services or you know homeless services you may not be able to access them because the timetable doesn't work and I suppose a taxi then as well like the cost of a taxi I know where I'm living and if you were to go out five six miles outside of the town a taxi is going to cost you nearly 20 quid for one one journey so having that a subsidized kind of car service you know to coincide with the local link bus services and some of the local link services have that now it's a community car scheme but then again you have that whole issue with you know having people from the local area maybe 
delivering that service and then the whole knowing your business knowing your business and knowing where you're going and you know so there needs to be that because trust and confidentiality Mm -hmm. is is protected as well it seems to be just something that has never been looked at properly or it's always been when the 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 rural transport program started it was before the financial crash Mm -hmm. and then automatically was cut and it's after taking a very long time for it to come back and it's still not back to where it was probably aiming where it was supposed to be going but I, i think some sort of a car or like the hackney the rural hackney scheme was to be explored again i don't think that has happened yet but looking at the at those kind of services that can coincide with with other you know getting people so people can access other services as well as tara said there you know the price of petrol and diesel now and other expenses with a car the vincentian partnership the minimum sentence standards of living report every year like it does show rural areas have higher expenses and it is down to transport and energy costs the transport's a big one i think even for a, a pensioner on their own there i think it's around 57 euro and now that was before and that adequate like was spent on transport and that's before the cost that's before the costs yeah. are after going up so it needs serious consideration by the department you know by the department of transport and it hasn't been given the the priority it's needed for given the attention that it is needed the transport issue links into health it links into education it links into jobs it links into childcare. transport seems to be kind of a key that unlocks an awful lot of other things isn't it really so it, it does really deserve it's not out on its own it does deserve to be looked at it in much more seriously because it, it factors into so many other things. So the older women in, in rural Ireland, do older women have, is, is, there, is there challenges that they're finding? Oh, I, I don't even know what I mean by older. I'm kind of, I'm wary to <laughs> pin it down to an age group. As we age, we're in and out of hospital more, we're in and out of doctors more. Our friendship groups have changed. Our social life is changing. If you lose your job and you're older, it's actually more and more difficult to go back to work depending on your skill set. So are there issues that you're finding particular to older women in rural Ireland? I think the isolation has been a big thing with, with COVID. Um, I think there's, and exactly as you're saying, Suzanne, those traditional networks and meetings uh, that would have brought women together just weren't happening. And I think a lot of older people have just taken to the digital and, and online like a duck to water and it's been great to see but you know there's been impacts on a wide range of issues but I'm just thinking as an example the issue of health and you know things like menopause that we don't really get well it's, it's getting a little bit more airtime mm-hmm. now but maybe wouldn't have been traditionally and when you look at the, the supply of HRT for example yeah. and the shortage and the impact on women like that to me is an absolute scandal but it's not getting the headlines because again it's one of those issues that well maybe we won't talk about that because it's the menopause and these are things we should be talking about and I think we're getting better at it and you know even having podcasts like this and, and talking about it and there's a lot of great work being done you know particularly by a lot of female GPs and there's a new menopause clinic and so on but it's just an example of how if there was medication if there was a shortage of medication yes. for men's health that was having the same yeah. impact yeah. 
I, I, you know, again, and this is making me sound very anti-men and I'm really not, but, but, you know, I think it would get a lot more headlines. And mm. I think the, the prioritizing of women's health, which we've seen for, an, you know, across a wide range of areas of health has not always been the best in this country. And, you know, we, we all know the examples there. So I think there are a lot of issues for, for women to have to, to, to grapple with. And then you have, some women who are perhaps minding children, caring for older relatives as well. They have that double caring responsibility. Um, again, the, and the impact of COVID has been really difficult because particularly if, if there were older relatives that they were caring for that were perhaps either in a care home or that they were trying to, to protect and not be going into the house, very, very difficult. There's a huge mental load yeah. in, in terms of that. And I think we're not going to start seeing the real impact on, on people for you know for another while and I think we are going to see start to see a huge impact on on people's mental health people's well-being on how the last two years have impacted people you know particularly from from uh, the, the perspective of people who are caring for vulnerable relatives and trying to keep safe and trying to keep everyone safe and trying to hold down a job and trying to do everything at home and I, I don't think we've seen the the full impact of that yet in society. Were there any sort of positives that came out of the last two years, maybe for women? Those conversations that we're having now in public about, as you said, you know, menopause, endometriosis, about women's health in general, about our mental health, about domestic violence. Are there any positives that, that we can kind of see going forward? What's, what's better? Well, okay. <laughs> I'm glad you both have an answer because what I was afraid of was like, we're going <laughs> to... <laughs> big empty space Louise go for it there I think the the remote working piece and even like online education and does give a lot of opportunities for women women maybe who had a, who had a business that did struggle that it had them maybe look at us and you know develop new business or even if someone did lose their job look at what else they can do and availability of online learning now and blended learning can help them as well explore other avenues you know a lot of the the, the women I suppose that are involved in agriculture that aren't the the farmer so mm. to speak but can look at different ways of making extra income from the farm itself whether it's through food production or you know agritourism or diversify because I suppose with the agricultural sector now it is all about having to diversify the farm anyway so they can become more involved in that but the remote working and I think some concerns women might have is that if they're not present in the office the physical presence that they are overlooked for promotion or career advancement and I know there was research done during COVID and even the online meetings it was women found it harder to participate in online meetings like to come in and speak there's opportunities there but I think we need to be aware of yeah the cons of, of remote working as well and for women I'd agree with Louise in that the opportunities around remote working have been in the main very positive but you do have to ensure that you keep people connected mm-hmm. because it's very easy particularly if you're working from home and maybe living alone it can be very easy to become even more isolated mm-hmm. and then you're working and living at home and how how do you do, do you manage to separate the two so I think it's important that employers take note of that. And yes, the opportunities are there, but what as, as Louise said, there can be cons. So you have to make sure that, that you have that, that connectivity. And 
it has given a lot of opportunity in terms of being able to to connect and engage with you know maybe a, a wider range of organizations and meetings and even you can attend meetings now all over the world that perhaps you wouldn't have considered previously and yeah. um, you can fit a lot more into the day instead of maybe driving to dublin for one meeting that can be held on zoom but again uh to go back to louise's point about the cons you have to be careful that you don't sacrifice that 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 personal engagement and that social engagement because as we know a lot of the best thinking is done on the train home from dublin or a lot of the best discussions happen over the coffee breaks and sometimes you know you have to be careful that you don't get that digital fatigue going from zoom to zoom to zoom and we see it now that if you're on a zoom meeting everyone is coming up to the hour looking at the clock going well i've another zoom at three or four or whatever it is so there isn't often that time for reflection on what you've just talked about or what you've just learned so the digital has been great but it does come with drawbacks and it also comes with accessibility issues not everybody has the broadband to be able to access zoom not everybody has the infrastructure you know and there are some really good initiatives in place and you know speaking from an adult education perspective we're very involved with ANCUS you know advocating for the mitigating against educational disadvantage fund where a lot of organizations including ourselves now have laptop loan schemes, for example, for um, people taking part in community further education. And that's really, really important. But I think it goes back to the, the, the overall theme of the conversation we're having is about having the resources and the structures in place to be able to support. So I think we're, we're doing things very differently now. And perhaps there's some things we'll never go back to. But I think it's important that we don't lose the social contact and the personal contact. I mean, that's what we're, as a nation, what we're so famous for as well, and that we don't lose that. And that can be lost sometimes in the online. So it is, it's a very different space that you're occupying. It is. Um, And you can't read body language really properly on a screen. You don't have that same sense of engagement. So it can can be quite difficult to forge relations. And, you know, I think a lot of us now have the experience of, starting to meet people in person that we've only ever seen on a screen and not recognizing them yeah. i've had that situation a couple of times where i've walked straight past somebody that i was due to meet but didn't recognize her because we've only ever met online so it's, it's a whole new world <laughs> yeah with older women as well like especially those who had to cocoon during mm. you know lockdown and even coming back out of that a lot of them are hesitant and you know still there's still that fear or anxiety going back because we deliver getting systems online the basic computer training like it is for people who've never used computers before and a lot of them would be older people older women especially but before COVID they would be be in a class setting like or it would be in a small group and a lot of them it was an out a day out for them are a few hours out of their day like to meet up with their friends a lot of them would have done it with friends as well so it was a, a social aspect of that and that was lost during COVID and we did deliver kind of one-to-one training but it, like it was difficult to try and ex- explain over the phone yeah, how to yeah. turn on the computer and do the work we are now starting to go back into the face-to-face classes and people want that as well like there as I said there are a few that are still kind of anxious but there's more that kind of want to get in back in and even to daycare centers where the, they would have been closed during the, the lockdown or during the pandemic like some of them still haven't opened or they're just starting to open now but like contact is lack of contact for people was was very hard for them. But all we can do is kind of hope that we have learned some things from each other from listening to each other from having as you said Tara conversations that we would never have had even two or three years ago 
that they are now becoming part of our daily conversation about where women are at, what women are looking for. And again, it's, it's not looking for anything more than anybody else has. It's just the same. I just want equal access to. That's all I'm looking for. For your health concerns to be treated with the same gravity as everybody else's health concerns. Nobody wants to take anything away from anybody. You know, it's not a case of our rise or somebody else's fall. It's about taking our place. And I suppose it goes back to that piece about participation and local authorities. And our message at the end, this might just be to encourage women in whatever their sphere of influence is to fill up that space and to bring other women with them. We can be hopeful, I think. I hope so. I think that's all we can do is, is, is look look towards the future and learn the lessons from, from the past and then just keep advocating for change, for social change, for change in policy and that those changes then be accompanied by the, the required resources in order to be able to implement them. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you, Louise. Thank you, Tara. That was fantastic. Thank you. Thanks Thank you. Thanks a million. Thank you for listening. I hope you found it useful. And if you have any ideas for future podcasts, any conversations that you'd like us to have, please feel free to email us at secretary at socialjustice.ie with your suggestions. Until next time, stay safe.